Good morning. The scripture for today comes from Matthew 19, 1 through 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. He responded, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marcella, for reading that. This morning, we continue on in our series on the Gospel of Matthew. It's called Jesus Unfiltered. This text is Jesus' longest teaching on marriage, divorce, and singleness slash celibacy in the Bible. And as we read that passage together, as we listen to Jesus' teaching, I realize we'll all hear it. We will all process it through different filters, probably many different filters. We have the filters of our own marriages and how they are going. Maybe long-term patterns, long-term struggles that we experience in our marriages. Uh, maybe we interpret this or hear this through the filter of our parents' marriages, which is for most of us the marriage we have seen up close and personal the most. Or the marriages of the people and friends that are close to us. And these can be what we would consider good marriages or bad marriages. Then we have the filter of our own experiences with divorce. Maybe that's our own, the divorce of others close to us. Some that we might consider to be good divorces and some that we might consider bad divorces, probably all painful in some way. Some will hear this teaching of Jesus through the filter of singleness, the singleness of your own. Maybe you have a desire to be married one day. Maybe you feel content in your singleness, a sense of calling, but maybe not a sense of fitting in with the norm, which sometimes can be especially true even in the church. These filters are not necessarily bad. They're just reality. Some parts of what Jesus says we will welcome in, and some will be very difficult for us to process and to hear and we'll have a hard time 
letting it through. Jesus' teaching doesn't just have to pass through our own personal filters and experiences. There are also many larger, we'll call them cultural filters. Jesus is teaching that marriage is the union of one man and one woman only. That this kind of marriage is the only setting for sexual union. That he teaches that many, most, reasons for divorce that we're familiar with are wrong or invalid. And that celibacy is a very real and valid option for some people. All these viewpoints are filtered out by many today. They would consider them, and maybe some of you resonate with this, regressive or repressive approaches to marriage, divorce, and sexuality. So some today will just feel offended just by the reading of this text and have a hard time sitting with it. Some will struggle. And I know that this morning I feel the weight of this text. I know I won't present it or teach it perfectly or answer all of your questions or help you deal with all of those struggles. There's so many things here. I'm going to do my best. But what helped me was realizing that just like it can feel like a trap (laughs) to even just sit with a group of people and talk through this text get into the issues of marriage and divorce and sexuality and singleness. Jesus' teaching here was a response to people trying to trap him in these issues. If you look at verses 1, 2, and 3, it says, Some teachers of the law came to Jesus, not to learn about marriage, but in order to trap him. And his response was, as always, not to fall into the trap, but... In his own wise, in his own expert teacher way, he turned the tables around on them. Look at verse 3. So some Pharisees approached him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Or it could be translated for any cause. And it's important to see here, right, Jesus wasn't teaching at a marriage retreat. He wasn't counseling a couple that came to him for marital advice. This was a trap. At the time of Jesus, there was a debate between two schools of interpretation concerning divorce. And it all zeroed in, it all focused on one particular passage, which is Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 through 4. So to understand anything about what's happening here, you have to know that's what's going on. There was a debate. This was a trap. Where do you stand, Jesus, on Deuteronomy 24? They quoted here, and they're asking Jesus. Whose side are you on? Here's what verse 1 says in Deuteronomy 24. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a certificate of divorce, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. So the debate. It was all about this text and two words which were something indecent. If a man marries a woman, she becomes displeasing because of something indecent. What does that mean? One school of thought, this was under the teaching of Rabbi Shammai at the time, they focused on the word indecency. They said that word refers to some type of sexual infidelity, and that is a valid reason to end marriage, and they were strict about that being the only cause. There was another school of thought, 
they followed Rabbi Hillel, who taught, let's focus on the word something here. And they interpreted that word something to pretty much mean anything. Anything a husband thought was displeasing enough to end a marriage was a valid reason. It was very broad. It was called any cause divorce. So you can see what's happening here. These teachers come and say, is it valid, Jesus, for a man to divorce a woman for any cause? Now, it might be surprising to you to learn that divorce was pretty common in Jesus' day. It happened a lot. Most divorces in the historical records at this time, and at the time Jesus lived, were enacted under this any cause Hillel approach. So here's a few examples. They're pretty painful, but I have to share these with you so you get a sense of what was going on in the Mishnah, the, the, the body of teaching that the Jewish people looked to for guidance in these matters. It said, a man could divorce his wife if she became deaf or mute or got warts or if she failed to perform services in the home like cooking and cleaning, if she had poor posture, thinning hair, no eyebrows, bushy eyebrows, missing teeth, swollen belly, or against the husband's wishes had the in-laws move into the same city, or if he found someone he thought was more attractive than her. These are all in the historical records, and these aren't even the worst (laughs) that's in there. It's very loose, right? It's very one-sided, right? It's heavily, heavily, almost only weighted on the side of a man and his prerogative. And for us, many of these things are very, and rightly so, offensive. This was what was happening, and here's the trap. Okay, Jesus, which one is it? If Jesus sides with the more lenient or liberal interpretation here, they would be able to say, see, this is what we've been saying all along. He's against the law of Moses. He doesn't care about the laws of the Sabbath. He's been breaking those. He's been disregarding all of our laws about ritual uncleanliness. He's been eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Here's just another example. Or if he sides with the more strict interpretation, he would, they hoped, get the attention of King Herod, who had just executed John the Baptist for calling him out, saying, your divorce, King Herod, is invalid. And John the Baptist was taken by Herod and killed because of this. And they thought maybe this could happen to Jesus and then they get rid of him. So what does Jesus do here? He turns the trap around on them. So it is like the cartoons when you have Roadrunner and Coyote or Tom and Jerry. Every time the Coyote sets a trap for Roadrunner, every time Tom tries to trap Jerry, what happens? Like Tom sets a dynamite trap for Jerry, and somehow he gets blown up by the dynamite every single time. That's basically what all those cartoons are about. And that's what happens here between Jesus and these teachers of the Bible, these experts in the Scriptures. He says to them, here's his response, right? Have you read the Bible? And they're like, yeah, we are the experts in the Bible. We teach the Bible for a living. We just quoted the Bible to you. And Jesus says, you are reading it all wrong. In order to address our questions, our struggles, the issues with marriage, divorce, and singleness and sexuality, we have to read the Bible properly. It's not a matter of 
Give me one verse and tell me, is it right or is it wrong? Which side are you on kind of approach? These things, these matters are way, way too important for that kind of flippant approach. You have to get the big picture first. And Jesus here gives us three things that are at the core of the big picture of what the Bible has to say about marriage and divorce and singleness. If you're following along and you like to take notes in the outline, you'll see them there. I think they're filling the blank. Jesus talks about here what makes a marriage first. Then he talks about what breaks a marriage and it's undergirded by his teaching on for whose sake. For whose sake anyway is marriage and singleness? So let's talk about first what makes a marriage. Before you talk about whether you can break something, if you can break something, it's always better to ask first, what is it? What is it for? And what happens if it's broken? Raising four boys, having been a boy, it seems to me that something about the essence of boyhood is taking something, not using it for its intended purpose and design, and breaking it. And there are many examples of this, and I'm seeing nodding heads. It might not be just a boy thing. It could be all kinds of kids. That, that could be true, but it definitely is boys for sure. This, this week, we had uh, fluorescent lights I had to replace out of the garage, and I took them, and I put them aside. They didn't fit in the trash can, so we just put them aside. And we even said, don't touch it. If you touch it and it breaks, it will shatter, and it can cut people and that kind of thing. So what happened? Well, they were both shattered before trash pickup day because they were being used in a way that they were not intended to be used. I'll just leave it at that. You can fill in the blanks with your imagination. This is Jesus' approach here. Before we can talk about what can break a marriage, we first need to know what makes a marriage. And Jesus starts at the very beginning. He says, here's where we need to begin in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, chapter 2, verse 24, and he lays out his teaching on what a marriage is. First, he says, marriage was made by God. This is what is marriage. What is it designed to be? It is made first by God. What is it? It's something designed by Him. He created them. He's quoting Genesis 1. From the beginning, He made them male and female. So this is an obvious point, but it does need to be made. From the text, I'm not saying anything, um, you know, ingenious here. It's just here. Marriage, Jesus is saying, was designed by God. So to understand it, to understand what to do when it's difficult, when it goes wrong, we have to go back and start at the very beginning and say, what is this for? If marriage was made by God, before we look to our circumstances, no matter how difficult, before we look to cultural practices, or even inward, before we look inward and say, this is what I want and hope marriage to be, we first have to look to God and His Word, and that's what Jesus does here. If marriage is a human creation and invention, right, that just evolved for survival and for convenience, then it really can evolve to whatever we need it and want it to be. But if marriage is made by God, and here's the point Jesus is going to build out, 
than any boundaries God places around marriage are there for our good and for our blessing. That's what a marriage is. Marriage is something made by God. But how is, how is a marriage made? Marriage is made through a promise. He says there, going on and quoting Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The word hold fast in the old translations was translated cleave. The word cleave is a, a covenantal word. It is a word of promise. How is a marriage made? How does it come to be? It comes to be through a covenant promise. I've done a lot of weddings over the years. It's a great privilege. It's always a great joy. And I'm always amazed that here I am standing there. This couple comes forward. They weren't married before and then right after the ceremony. They are. And something happens right there in the ceremony that they weren't and they are. How does that happen? What is it? They're married because they have voluntarily made a binding promise to each other. And once you make a, a promise like that, something happens. You can't see it. It's not something you can measure or grab a hold of, but it is real. Something happens between two people when promises like that are made. And Jesus says God shows up and does something. When a man and a woman make these promises, he does a joining together. When God joins two people together, he says, then let no one separate them. So in one sense, in this sense, a wedding is very unromantic because all you need to happen in a wedding is two things. You need consent and covenant. That's at the heart of the ceremony. All the other stuff, which is really awesome and good, and the, and the, the beauty of, of the bride and the groom standing there and the tuxedo, all the stuff that's around it, it's, it's not necessary. You just need consent. Consent meaning, hey, do you know what you're about to do? This is a covenant. Yes, yes. Okay, make the covenant. That's all you need. And something new is created by the exchanging of those vows. You say, from this day forward, as long as we both shall live, and you are joined. Uh, my favorite statement on marriage, I usually say at every single wedding ceremony that I officiate at, is something written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote a letter to a couple on the eve of their wedding day, and he said, it is, it is true, from this day forward, that it is not your love that sustains the marriage, but your marriage that sustains your love. Marriage is made through a promise. Marriage is made for oneness. What is marriage? It's something designed by God. How does it happen through a covenant? Why? It's made for oneness. The two, Jesus says, shall become one flesh. He's not just talking about physical oneness, sexual intimacy. That is, of course, included here. One flesh means whole life oneness. In Genesis, it says they were both naked and unashamed, meaning they could live in complete vulnerability one to the other, to trust each other with their whole selves and to receive the whole self of another. Oneness at the deepest level. Once uh, you are glued to one another. The Greek word here is the gluing of two people 
together, that means your place and your calling in this world is no longer lived out independently, but all as one flesh with your spouse. God works and uses and, chains and, and chain, changes and directs you together. To be joined together, it's the same word uh, that is used at the time, to be yoked together, like two oxen are yoked together, two animals are yoked together for work, for partnership. They're not doing their work. They're not moving out into the world alone, but together, yoked together. Notice, at this point, Jesus doesn't say anything about personal fulfillment and marriage. Not because it's not a part of marriage, but because it is the byproduct of what a marriage is made to be by God. It is made by Him through the covenant promises for oneness, whole life oneness, partnership, and friendship. This is what makes a marriage, Jesus says. And so in verse 6, He concludes by saying, What God has joined together, let no one separate. In a lot of wedding ceremonies, this is how they end with quoting these words of Jesus. What he's saying is, let's first be clear on what a divorce is. It's breaking something God has joined. It is breaking, ending a sacred promise and separating a deep whole life oneness. So no matter what the reason for a divorce, there is pain and there is trauma for all. We'll talk about divorce more in a moment, but a few ap application thoughts before we move on. When Jesus teaches us what makes a marriage, he's also teaching us what it takes to grow and sustain a marriage. When you're married, every marriage goes through times when there are things that that separate you, that get in the way. There are walls that go up. There are bricks that you tend to build between each other because of hurt, because of resentment, maybe because you don't feel safe to share that part of you with your spouse. What Jesus is saying here is that the covenant that you made, as you live that out, that provides this safety for the whole life oneness, and sharing one to another. And your first priority in this life on a human level is to do everything it takes to remove everything that stands between you. To, to give that gift and to receive that gift of vulnerability one to the other. There is really, on a human level, nothing more powerful, nothing has the power to bless and to build another person up than to say, I know you, I see you, I've seen it all, I've seen you at your worst, and I love you. Nothing has the power to break and to hurt more on a human level when somebody says, I, I see you, I've seen you at your worst, and I reject you. Or I distance myself from you. So married couples, I'm speaking here to myself, our first priority on a human level is to make sure nothing is standing in the way between the oneness we have to our spouse, the one we are joined to. More could be said, but another application for those thinking about marriage, preparing for marriage, 
The focus is not on finding the right person for you, the perfect soulmate who fits all your checklists and the picture. No, the, the focus is, if this is what marriage is, is to become the kind of person who can fulfill this kind of promise. Learning to live in forgiveness and deep friendship. That's what makes a marriage Jesus also talks about what can break a marriage. If marriage is created by God through a binding covenant promise that results in the union of a man and a woman so close that they are one flesh, is there anything that can possibly break that? That's the right way to frame the question. So in verse 7, the teachers come back with a better question. They say, okay, given this definition of marriage, Jesus, why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers? a certificate of divorce, and send a wife away. He's saying, they're saying, why do we even have Deuteronomy 24 then, if what you're saying is true? And Jesus' answer is, because of the hardness of your hearts. Divorce is never a part of God's intended will, but it is a part of His allowed will. It's not commanded. They changed Deuteronomy 24 to say, Moses commanded this. Jesus says, no, Moses allowed this. In Deuteronomy 24, we could spend a lot of time unpacking that particular passage. What we need to realize is this. It was not given to supply a reason to end marriages. It was given to protect marriages. That's why it was given in the first place. It was given to regulate something that was already happening and to minimize the damage and the harm. Jesus says it wasn't commanded, but divorce was permitted, contrary to God's design and intention. Because divorce was already happening due to the hardness of the human heart. It's like a road, if it has a sharp turn and cars keep wrecking and falling off the road because they're not being careful, they're flying off and being reckless, well, you put up guardrails to prevent that. In a sense, this is what the Bible does in many places. The law, the Bible gives us God's design from the beginning, Jesus says. This is how it's, it's meant to be. But life in a sinful and fallen world because the hardness of our hearts, the Bible also deals with the real. What happens when people don't follow God's ideal design? This is how we can understand laws in the Scriptures regarding polygamy. There's laws about that. Slavery, laws about killing and murder. It's not saying, here's when murder is allowed. Here's when these things can happen. It's saying these things are already in place. And so we need to regulate and limit the harm that comes from them. None of them are God's design and intended will. But when they do happen, because we're living in a fallen world, what do we do to prevent more damage? Deuteronomy 24 was actually given, if you read it, to protect women from frivolous divorce and gave them the freedom to remarry without their first husband coming back to get them and saying, no, you're mine. Many laws in the ancient Near East gave husbands five years to change their mind, and they could just take the woman from another husband and bring her back. And there was a dowry involved, there was property, and there were children involved. This was not good for women, as you can imagine. There are some things that, due to the hardness of the human heart and sin, break what God has joined. It can break the covenant and the glue of oneness. What are those things? What can break a marriage? Jesus says in verse 9, sexual unfaithfulness. 
That is what he's saying Deuteronomy 24 is, is teaching as far as the cause. Other places in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 7, Exodus 21, add another category that is best captured under the phrase willful desertion. These are things that due to the hardness of heart can break a marriage. Application thought here on this. In a culture where divorce has become very permissible, acceptable for many reasons, when it can be used for an escape clause, we need to see this. Divorce, Jesus' is teaching, is not like taking two things that, apart that are joined by Velcro. You know, when you have two, if it's really good Velcro and you pull it apart, it's pretty hard, but boom, you pull it apart and you're like, okay, that's all right. You know, we got it apart. That was hard, but there it is. No, he's saying, it's not like Velcro. <laughs> Divorce is like amputation. It's like tearing apart of one flesh. And many commentators and pastors use this illustration because it is there in the teaching of Jesus of one fleshness of marriage. If you go to a doctor and you learn uh, the overseeing ER doctor there who makes all the final decisions, his, f his favorite, his go-to, his main cure for everything is amputation. You go, well, okay, I have a broken arm, cut it off. I tore my ACL, cut it off. I have a stomach pain, right? Cut it out. You will not go to that ER doctor. You will get out of there because a good doctor is going to say, save this by any means necessary. If this is life-threatening, we might have to cut it off, but that is a last resort. Because you're tearing apart one flesh. You're tearing apart the body. Sometimes Jesus is saying amputation in a, in a fallen world because of the hardness of human heart is necessary because the condition is beyond repair and restoration and the whole body will die. If a marriage has been broken by unfaithfulness to the covenant and is beyond repair and redemption and reconciliation because of the hardness of the heart, Jesus is saying here, Divorce is allowed. It's not commanded. This also was very different than the teaching of the day. No marriage, Jesus is teaching, is irreparable. No marriage is beyond redemption. Jewish and Roman law did actually mandate divorce in cases of adultery. Jesus says even in the hardest and most painful of situations, no marriage is beyond repair. There are boundaries. There are protections around what God has made. And those boundaries are for our good. If you go to a museum and you're touring a museum and there's a part of the museum that has a separate room, you're walking by and you're seeing things, oh, look at that separate room. There's like security guards there. They have to check you before you go in. You go in and you see something is there behind thick glass and there's a fence, there's a barrier. You can't even get close to the thick glass. And you walk in and you realize... Oh, that's just a happy meal in there. Like, what is happening? Why are all these protections and boundaries and gla and why is all this stuff just that's just a regular McDonald's happy meal? Like that, that's not valuable. Well, that wouldn't happen <laughs> because when we have protections, when we have things in place and boundaries, it's to protect and to guard something of great value and something of great worth. Jesus is teaching that. God has put up these boundaries around marriage. 
because there's something of great worth and value that he created marriage to be. And even when it gets hard and even when it gets difficult and we're looking for an escape clause and an exit on the way out, he says, stay within and there within. I will be with you as you learn to live out this covenant promise. Quick thought on this. What if, what if I haven't followed this? What if I've transgressed those boundaries? What you need to hear is this. Adultery and divorce is not in a special class of unforgivable sins. Some have taken Jesus to mean that here, but he can't because there is only one unforgivable sin. That is the rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit in drawing you to Jesus. No marriage is irredeemable and no situation and no person is beyond forgiveness, repentance, and redemption. Many questions we could ask as a follow-up, but that is what we need to hear about this text. If we have transgressed those boundaries, it doesn't place us in an irredeemable place. I want to move to my third point, for whose sake is our marriage in singleness? You see what the disciples say in verse 10? If, If such is the case, if this is how it is, Jesus, then it's better not to marry. And you wonder what they're thinking about. Are they thinking, well, that's too hard. I need the escape clause if I'm going to be married or in the marriage that I'm in. Many of them were married. Notice how Jesus answers them. He doesn't answer them by saying, you know what, guys, come on. But marriage can be so great. You know, just follow follow my teaching. Follow the way that I'm telling you to do it. You'll, You'll get the dream husband. You'll get the dream wife. You'll have an incredible marriage. You'll have wonderful kids and a dream home. And you will be on the cover of Awesome Marriage Magazine together if you just follow what I'm saying. He doesn't say anything about that. Instead, he responds and says, well, you can always become a eunuch. (laughs) Okay, okay, hmm, interesting. What is going on with that? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is using this drastic and costly term, right, for celibacy and singleness. And he's setting it side by side with his radical and costly teaching on marriage. Marriage is a binding promise, a sacrificial calling. Yes, God designed it. Yes, God wants people to have this treasure that he designed, but you need to understand it is not for your own personal fulfillment. It is a sacrificial calling that will cost you. That's marriage on this side. And celibacy is a sacrificial calling as well. The gift and call to marriage, the gift and call to singleness and celibacy. They both involve sacrifice in different ways, but rightly understood. They're equally hard and equally holy. This is so different than what we're trained to think about marriage than what we expect from marriage and singleness. We are trained to think about this aspect of our lives as being for our sake, for our fulfillment. This is a choice I make for myself so I can have the life that I want to live. Verse 10, essentially Jesus is saying, if you're going to get married for yourself, then yes, better not to. That's not what it's about. I found this quote an old English pastor way back in the day. 
He said this. It's in your reflection quotes. It's the last one. He says, one was never married, and that's his hell. Another is, and that's her plague. Not a very happy perspective on life, but the point he's making is, for some, not being married is so deeply painful, the deepest pain. And for some, being married can be their deepest pain. The solution is not one and the other. The gift of marriage requires sacrifice, denying oneself, taking up your cross and following Jesus to love, serve, and give. The gift of singleness requires, requires also sacrifice, denying oneself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. Jesus is doing here is he's reframing the whole conversation. He's saying marriage and singleness is for God's sake. Marriage is for God's sake, a union created by God to reflect and reveal more of himself to the world, that we might serve and bless the world better together than we would on our own. Singleness is for God's sake, to reveal and reflect more of the glory of God in his all-sufficiency, so we might serve and bless the world better in our singleness. This described the Apostle Paul, who in his teaching in 1 Corinthians 7 said, I consider my gift of singleness the way that I am devoted to the Lord, to serve and bless the world the way he has called me to. It is for God's sake, both are for others' sake. We get married for another's sake. Our main other in life, when we get married, our main other in life, our main neighbor, the one we are called to love is our spouse. And that is the context in which we live out our faith and our following of Jesus. When we are single, we have opportunity to serve others in a way that we don't when we're married. For God's sake, for others' sake, and lastly, it is for our sake, but not in the way that we think. Not, Jesus doesn't say here, in order for us to have the life we want, in order for us to experience fulfillment and ecstasy, whatever it might be. Not any of that, but to learn to serve and please another. That's why we get married, to become like Jesus, to learn to serve, love, and give to another in covenant love. And the way we learn that is only in relationship. To be married is to be given the gift of a person who promises this to you and you to them. To be single is to pursue this gift in community and relationship and friendship with others. One final word on singleness before I close. Jesus says, some are uh, celibate by birth, some by force, but others by choice for the sake of the kingdom. This is really hard teaching to accept. In our, in our time, in the world we live and swim in, it's become a deep core part of many people's understanding of the world that sexual expression and fulfillment is a part of our identity. And to take away sexual expression or fulfillment is to take a part of somebody's humanity away. We need to see this. Jesus says, no, it is not. Jesus himself took this option. God calls and God gifts people with this option. According to Jesus' own teaching right here, he could have gotten married. It wouldn't have been wrong. He could have had a wife and been intimate with her. He would have still been obedient, but he chose not to for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He was fully human. He was more human than we will ever be in this life and more alive as a human being. Yet, he did not get married and he did not experience sex.
Now, how can we do this? How do we have the resources and the strength to live out marriage in this way, to open ourselves to another with all the vulnerability that is, to live out a covenant promise even when in the day-to-day realities of marriage it can be so difficult? We need to remember the broader context. All this teaching is found. And it's the story of God's own marriage and God's divorce and remarriage. The Bible teaches that God has been through a divorce and a remarriage of sorts. In Jeremiah 3, in Isaiah 54, it says that Jesus had to give his bride a certificate of divorce, speaking of the people of Israel. After extended unfaithfulness, God says, okay, I will give you what you want. You want to live with your other lovers. So go ahead. And now that they have let you down, now that your other lovers have left you empty and forsaken, the story goes, God says, I will take you back. The book of Hosea is all about this. I will take you back in a way that all the pain of the betrayal, all the tearing of my heart won't get in the way of my love for you. How? This is the very heart of the gospel, that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is the story of God's marriage, the story of his renewing of the covenant with his bride. God knows the pain of a hard and broken marriage. He knows. He has endured the hardness of our heart toward him, but he has not hardened his heart toward us. He knows the deep hurt of a broken covenant. And he makes a renewed covenant at the greatest cost which came to himself. He knows the cost of healing and forgiveness, absorbing debt for the sake of the beloved. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is the love of Christ. This is the only unfailing love. And in this love comes the resources to love another. In this love comes the strength and the resources to live out singleness for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And this is why when the woman at the well said to Jesus, Sir, you're talking about living water. I want this water. Show me how to get it. He said to her, Go call your husband. Because she was looking to her husband, to her marriage, to be for her what only Jesus could be. And that's what we need to see here, that the strength and the power and the resources to live out the sacrificial call to marriage or singleness comes from the inexhaustible love of God that we have in Jesus. Let's pray now. Let's ask him for that strength together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. It is a hard one. It was a hard one for us to grapple with, to understand. And, Lord, even harder for us to live out however you have called us in this season of life, whether married or single, I pray. I pray that you would refresh us in the incredible reality of your faithful covenant love for us in Jesus. I pray that in the day-to-day sacrifices, difficulty, 
in the laying down of our lives, in living that calling out that you would meet us in those moments, you would meet us today, you would meet us this week to strengthen us to love as we have been loved by you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.